one part of life is going well, we do well. And when this one part of life isn't going well, we, we really struggle. And it's the idea of connection. Hmm. We all want connections, especially the people we love. And we want that to go well. And it, it, it's something that we kind of can crave, but also can be um, elusive. Uh, and just think about how this goes on in our lives when it's not going well. Just, just, just think of this. If uh, anybody here ever been reactionary to someone else in your life? No. Can I show us very well? Yeah, yeah, we all have. Whether it's you know, I talk to some guys that are professional stonewallers, right? Or uh, some people I've talked to who are they'll take it really personal when it's not personal at all. And uh, or just imagine if a person or a couple comes to church here and they don't feel connected, what will happen? They probably what? Probably won't come back. Or you have two single people going out to dinner and they don't feel connected. What happens? One and done. Alright? It's one and done. Not, there's not a second chance. Connection affects us whether it's going positive or negative in all sorts of ways. And actually, there's some interesting research actually out of Harvard that talks about connection that's even different in a church setting versus other settings. So if you put the, the slide up, that would be, uh, the first slide, that would be, that'd be great. This is actually out of Harvard uh, by someone lot smaller than I am. It says the size or the impact of a religious community, or the impact of community, participation tends to exceed those of other social participation. With regard to effects on mortality, suicide, cardiovascular disease, the effects on religious service participation are larger than for any other social participation indicator examined, including marriage, time spent, friends, etc. Basically, the positive impacts of being part of a religious group and being connected there has even a greater effect than these other relationships. Which is so contrary to what we would see, I would say, in our kind of Los Angeles culture. Here's what I hear a lot of. I want something spiritual, but I don't want organized religion. I would say that is kind of the norm in our culture. And so I was talking to a friend about this, and they said, I can find a great talk on YouTube any day of the week, or some podcast, or that type of thing, but I can't find community immediately. And one of the things that churches are designed to do is provide a place of community, of connection, and even the research is showing it has great benefits. Um, however, uh, I, I, I do a lot of counseling stuff, so if I have some counseling references, it's, it's nobody in this room, so don't worry. Um, and to protect people's privacy and all that stuff. But here's what I hear a lot of. I want great connection with no risk. And how does that work out for people? It doesn't. But that's what I hear all the time. So in your daily life, the next slide, you, this is daily life, do you see connection as optional or necessary? Do you see it as optional or necessary? I would say, especially in the last year or two with everything you went through, not being intentional about connection is sowing the seeds of loneliness. If we're not intentional about connection, we're sowing the seeds of loneliness. It happens all over the place. Now, I want to think of connection in two different settings. One is the selfish, kind of self-absorbed way versus the godly way. Um, so anybody here know anybody that's self-absorbed? Not necessarily. Only Santa Cruz. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you're just so other southern. That's amazing. Uh, no, we all we all see it around us. I mean, it's easier to see than others than us, of course. Uh, and so, 
the, uh, when I think of connections, I'm not trying to think of just like how to get all my needs met. It's more how to, what's God's word have to say about connection. Uh, from really living in connection is just living out God's design. God, am I living out the way you created me and designed me versus just self-fulfillment or the balance of giving and uh, receiving support? I talk to a lot of Christians and they're like, I'd rather help others than make my needs known. I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel vulnerable at all. Or um, godly connection involves God is there for me even when people let me down versus kind of self-centered ways I get resentful when people um, let me down. That happens all the time. Or godly connection involves living within God's boundaries versus kind of self-centeredness. I want to do what I want. I want connection however I want. And people better adjust. So what we're going to do for kind of the rest of our time is we're going to actually take the time to look at the designer, the inventor of connection. And that's Jesus. Jesus designed the whole concept of connection. So we're going to go basically spending time in the book of Luke, the rest of our time, and just looking at how did Jesus connect with people? What were his trends? How did he go about it? He designed the whole concept in the first place. So why don't we look at the person who designed this idea of connection. So Luke 2 is where we're starting. And, and I apologize, we're going to skip around a lot of scriptures in Luke. We'll probably hit six or seven passages on how Jesus connected. So the context of Luke 2 is there's this uh, Jesus and a bunch of people all travel. It's like this long travel. Obviously, they're all walking. And for whatever reason, Jesus kind of wanders off with the parents. It's a large group of people. It's not just the family. They're, walk, they're walking along. And uh, all of a sudden, Mary and Martha can't find him. And Jesus is only 12 years old. It's really the only story we have about Jesus as a, as a kid. And in today's, today's world, there would have been an Amber Alert. Right? That's what would have happened in today's world, but it's a little different back then. And what we're going to look at now is actually the first recorded social interaction that Jesus has. This is the first recorded social interaction that Jesus has. So Luke 2.46 says this, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, and here's what he was doing, listening to them and asking them questions. The first recorded interaction of Jesus Connecting with people, he's listening and asking questions. I just find it remarkable that at 12 years old, already doing that. And he was also living out his purpose. He was really living out his spiritual purpose of trying to um, walk in step with his heavenly Father. Now, notice if you go to verse uh, 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why are you treating us like this? Guilt trips happened back then. <laughs> it's kind of actually interesting. I, this is just a little counseling side note. I find it amazing that Mary, the son of God, gives Jesus a guilt trip. Yeah. <laughs> that why are you treating us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Basically, a little mini guilt trip. So, if any of you had a mom that guilt trip you have with Jesus. Verse 49, why are you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? His father's house, his spiritual purpose. He got his purpose um, right away, and he was listening and asking questions. All right, moving right along, we're going to jump to Luke 4. And in Luke 4, Jesus is now an adult. He's doing miracles. Um, people are loving the benefit of Jesus. They're loving what he's doing for them in their community, and that's kind of the context of Luke 4. 42, it says this, At daybreak, 
Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They wanted the benefit of Jesus. He's making people better. He's healing diseases. Who wouldn't want Jesus around, right? Who wouldn't want that? You know, for your relatives, your friends who've been sick. Of course, for, for, verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judah. He got his bigger spiritual purpose. And he actually disappointed the people. Mm -hmm. He didn't meet all their expectations. All right, if you're taking notes, let me give you the recipe for how to have more anxiety. Here it is. You want to increase your anxiety in life, just worry about meeting everybody else's expectations. It works all the time. It works all the time. But Jesus here had his, the bigger purpose in mind. Yes, he was loving people. Yes, he was caring. But he actually did meet all their expectations. They wanted him to stay because they liked the benefits. And he said, I have a greater, greater purpose. So one of this is going to sound odd. And I promise some of you are going to not like what this next sentence says. Is one of my favorite prayers. And it's this. God, this part's not on the screen, sorry. God, help me disappoint people the way you want me to. God, help me disappoint people. Now, not for the sake of passive-aggressive. Is there any passive-aggressive people in here? You know, no, not for that. Not to be spiteful, but because I so want to do the will of my Heavenly Father, sometimes a yes, I will not meet people's expectations. I won't meet them sometimes. Uh, sometimes I will, I'll talk to people and they're like, I never want to disappoint anybody. I just can't. I was talking to my, my teenage son. He's 17 and he goes, Dad, I don't like this idea of disappointing. I'm like, nobody really does. But if you give too much power to that, it will be miserable. It will be miserable because you can't please everybody. And Jesus here knew his purpose. His father's purpose was even greater than meeting people's expectations. Gary Thomas says like this. He, Jesus, never allowed the desire of others to dictate who he spent time with. We'll keep going here. We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Some more connections of Jesus' experiences. And verse 27 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, tax collectors were hated. They, they were literally hated. So imagine, trying to think of a, a scenario. Imagine if your next door neighbor just got out of prison for fraud of taking money away from the children's hospital. And now that's your new neighbor. And you're like, oh, let's have him over for dinner. No, how is how word gossip gets out about that guy? I mean, he took money from the children in the hospital. Like, like the rumors would be flying in maybe your community and mine. That they're such look down, I can't believe him. That's how people saw it. They looked down upon. But what does Jesus do? He's the great initiator of relationships. John 4 actually says, He loved us first. Right? So uh, it keeps going here, verse 28. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their 
uh, said, complain to his disciples. Notice they didn't complain to Jesus. They complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with those people, basically? With tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus connected with people irregardless of their social status. Irregardless. So, sometimes I'll, I'll see this in um, like corporations. Uh, when I used to work at social services, what would happen is it was amazing how nice everybody was to like the director when they would visit. But like the interns and the people that come by and clean the offices and all hours, they would be not treated so well by people. It was amazing how that kind of continues to this day. People would treat others depending on some of the social status sometimes. It's amazing, but Jesus, he was the great initiator to people in need of a savior. And, and one of the things that we want to connect well, we have to be willing to initiate. Jesus initiated a lot of relationships with the people, the 12 disciples. He found them out. So, however, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk when we initiate. Anybody ever here ever initiate uh, some connection with someone and it gets really awkward? And you're like, oh, how do I end this? <laughs> how do I just end this quickly? Right? Or, uh, you know, we initiate something and, uh, you know, you start talking about something and then you talk your story. Right? Or whatever it is. Um, and so what happens is we want this closeness without taking a risk to initiate. We want everybody to initiate towards us. But Jesus is a great initiator. Even though he knew he might be hurt, he was going to be hurt by his disciples down the road when they betrayed him. Um, I've had people say, well, I don't want anybody to know my flaws because then they'll reject me. Right? I'll, I'll just do a superficial kind of initiating, not really true friendships. Uh, our church recently started this new uh, young adult group. We're kind of 18 to 25 year olds. And we gathered at someone's house, there's probably about 15, 20 people, and uh, I couldn't make it there. Like, uh, I only got there about five minutes before it started. So I walk into the room, it's like this big living room, and everybody's there anxiously, like looking at each other, and then trying to watch the TV because it feels socially awkward. And you just feel like this please do something, help us. It was just awkward. But then, you know, we had some time together, I encouraged them to do a lot of talking with each other, a lot of discussion. And by the end of it, it was amazing how many of them were like, thank you. I actually got to connect. They're swapping phone numbers, they're doing something later. But they got past that initial awkwardness for the sake of connection. And they made it through and they were like, I almost didn't make it here. I, I almost just left because oh, that was awkward. <laughs> Because yeah, they just didn't know each other. But then by the, an hour later, all of a sudden, they had a hard time leaving. Like the people who had this home it was in, they're like, here we go. Right? Because they actually finally broke through and had some connection. And Jesus craves for us to connect with others because that's how he made us. He made us to connect. But he also knew what it was like to connect and be rejected. So some of us, we want connection, but we're really reluctant to do it because we've been hurt before. And we don't want to be hurt again. And Jesus gets it. And uh, Luke, there's a lot of scriptures on how he understands what it feels like to re be rejected. Luke 9, 22 says this. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. 
Luke 17, 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Luke 20, verse 17. Jesus looked directly at them and said, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone of the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He gets rejection. He actually knows what that really feels like. All right, keep going here. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is another connection point that Jesus has. Verse 46. And the context here is the disciples and Jesus are all talking, uh, sitting around with each other. And remember, Jesus, he gets all of it. He can, you know, he can read your mind, my mind, you know, even though we can't with each other. He could. And this an argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Now, I find that pretty amazing. Here, they're probably relate teenage guys here. Right? So imagine, if, I'm, if I'm with Jesus and I'm not even close, not even close, I, my first thing would be how annoying that is. You're debating how great you are? <laughs> really? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and stood uh, and brought him beside him. He now actually connected with a child. Instead of lecturing the disciples like, you bunch of idiots, you're debating your greatness. You're debating it. He actually decides to connect with kids because he values kids. He connects with kids. Because disciples weren't living out their design. We are not designed to receive all the glory that's really for, for God. I, years ago, I was uh, talking with a coworker in uh, a social service office, and uh, I could tell she was pretty distraught. And I'm like, well, what, what, what's wrong? What's going on? She goes, well, my car has about 60,000 miles on it, and it, I was told that it, it's dead. It died. Like, it needs a new engine. Like, it's, it's going to be thousands and thousands of dollars on the new engine, which is pretty expensive these days. And I'm like, well, what, what happened? She's, and she had this, like, big, awkward silence. And she goes, I never got oil changed. Oh, oh. Like, I'm like, don't say much right now. <laughs> All right, that's not going to help. All right? So, for 60,000 miles, she, she never took it at once. Never did anything to it. And what happened was, it, she didn't treat the car according to its design. And that happens with us in relationships. When we isolate, when we hold grudges, when we live in greed, when we act out sexually when we don't forgive and we don't live within God-given design, there's impact. There's impact. And it affects our connection with Him. It affects our connections uh, with others. And that was going on here with the disciples and the end of getting to this argument and they really were struggling to live within uh, God's design. Keep going here. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. By the way, some of you after this service are going to like not do anything except go get an oil change. Um, <laughs> Luke chapter 10 says this. Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? Now, Jesus, like I said before, could see his thoughts. So he's not just being curious. Oh, I really want to learn. He's trying to test them. That was a pretty common theme. They were trying to test 
Jesus all the time. And Jesus answered beautifully, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He has, corrected, has answered correctly, he replied, do this and you will live. What I love about his response is Jesus, they're trying to test. They're trying to test. That's the, that's the theme with the religious leaders. They keep trying to test. And Jesus doesn't act irritated. He actually goes back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 6. What I love about this is Jesus is super slow to be irritated. Anybody, anybody here quickly irritated internally? All right, two of you. Okay, the rest of you. All right. I was actually one time uh, speaking of, I mentioned the Hume Lake earlier. It's a, it's a camp, actually, with this stuff for teenagers and marriage treats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was asked to speak at a men's conference um, and, and do this breakout session on men in anger with about 200 guys. I'm thinking, men in anger. That's, this should be interesting. And uh, so I was talking along, and I said, I have this belief that whatever we get angry about is an indication of our own heart. And then I had 200 angry men in me. <laughs> right? And there's been many times in my counseling office, I'm talking with a couple, and the guy will say to me something like this. She just ticks me off, I can't believe, she da-da-da-da, and he'll start complaining. And I'm like, wow, when did you give her all the power over your mood? And now he's mad at me. <laughs> switches from her to me. But we do this all the time. Just think of the phrase, you made me so mad. That's really a blame statement. Right? That's, that's an that's a easy irritation. It's really saying, I want to give you power over my mood. But Jesus here, he knows the motives are here. He knows they're not really looking to growl. They're not really trying to be molded into, to honor the Heavenly Father. And he responds in such gracious ways, going back to Deuteronomy, and just loves well. Um, Francis Champion like this. The more your spirit gets intertwined with his, the more you will feel what he feels. Love what he loves. Grieve over what grieves him. We worship a God who desires unity with his children. And this is really big, and between his children. It's both and really should be connected. All right, we'll keep going here. Luke chapter 10, another story here between Mary and Martha. Luke 10, 38. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened uh, her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Sorry, I added the tone there. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet listening and having a conversation. Martha's running around, and what's happening in Martha? I, if I just had like a YouTube picture of this scene right now, I just imagine Martha internally. I can't believe it. She's not helping at all. Are you serious right now? Really? But yeah, and then in front of Jesus, I just, I just imagine, you know, like, you don't want to come across too irritated in front of Jesus, right? But Jesus obviously picks up on this. He, he knows what's going on. But what was going on in Martha's head that really fueled a disconnection and actually fueled some anger was comparison. 
embarrassing. What, she's not gonna help? What's her problem? What's her deal? Right? And really, Jesus was craving connection over getting stuff done. He was actually craving <coughs> over uh, getting stuff done. And so resentment was growing and growing and growing inside of Martha. Um, and I would say one of the great deterrents to connection is resentment. Uh, resentment can fuel um, so much disconnection. It actually can fuel loneliness and all sorts of other problems. So when you connect with people, when you connect with people, just think, am I present or distracted? When someone's telling you a story at work, are you actually hearing their story or are you thinking about when you're off work? Or when uh, your kid's telling you something, those are kids, are you listening? Are you thinking about something? Same thing with your friendships. So, one of the things, I think one of the most loving things to do is to be present with people. Just be present with them. Right? So, um, my, like I mentioned before, my wife is a labor and delivery nurse. So, Sometimes she has stories that on the surface would never be my first interest. <laughs> right? Telling me about what some lady wants to do with her placenta to all sorts of ladies screaming and she wants to tell me a story or two. Right? Now, my natural instinct is to like, really? But if I'm going to love her, I'm going to listen, not because I'm interested in the topic, because I'm interested in the person who's telling me the topic. I'm present with her. I'm trying to love her because I care about the person telling me the story. The amazing thing is Jesus offers us his presence. He offers us his presence. Or just think, um, when I'm with people, am I internally loving or internally judging? We might smile on the outside and internally like be critical. Or am I open or closed to learning? Alright, we'll keep going here. Let, let's skip uh, the Luke um, 22 one and uh, go to Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 39. Luke 23, 39. The context here is Jesus is on the cross. He's already been tortured. He's been beat up. Crown of thorns are on his head. It's, I mean, brutal beyond brutal is the context here. And here Jesus still connects in amazing ways. He has the two criminals, one each side. One of the criminals who hung there uh, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's pretty much mocking him. That sarcastic like, oh really? You call yourself Messiah, huh? All right, just, I can just imagine the tone here. It's probably not gracious. And Jesus doesn't get defensive. He doesn't say something like, how dare you? Unbelievable. I'm dying for the sins of the world and you treat me like that? <laughs> There's none of that going on. Here, here, the other criminal rebukes him and says, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting for our deed deserved. But this man is nothing wrong. Jesus actually helps this man enter paradise after he dies. He, does, he doesn't let the defensiveness of this guy being sarcastic get in the way of caring for this other man who needs salvation. So one of the things that, that really gets in the way of connection for you and I is when we're quickly defensive. 
or when we're quickly um, taking things personal when they're not personal. When we are distracted by defending ourselves or proving ourselves, we often miss chances to connect. I think this happens all the time. I really believe that Christ followers should be the, the people on the earth that take things the least personal. Because we have identity in Christ. We're already permanently, eternally accepted and loved by a Savior who died for us. So, but this is not how it works in real life. If you heard, like, from your grapevine, let's say, through your friends or at church, hey, there's a rumor going on about you. Anybody here might have some, like, obsessive thoughts going on? Where they come from? What's going on? Who started that? Who dared? Versus, you know what? That's secondary. I'm so loved by God. Is that good on love by him? No, we go through the obsessive stuff, or who did this, or how dare they, or all that kind of stuff. But Jesus models great other alternatives. Luke 24 now. Luke 24 uh, is another passage, and this time, this is after the resurrection. Jesus is with the disciples, and we're in Luke 24, and he offers some great other connecting points. While they were talking about this at his disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now just not that long ago, all of the disciples, one of them sold him for 30 Thomas, or Judas, he wasn't there, but the other 11 guys betrayed him. So imagine you were getting ready to be killed, and 11 of them all desert you. Peter especially betrays you. You get betrayed and abandoned, and now Jesus is offering them reassurance. He's offering reassurance to the men that weren't there for so I think sometimes we have this idea of like, well, I'll show them love when they what? Oh, they deserve it. They prove themselves. These, Jesus was amazingly reassuring. He didn't lecture them. You know, where were you guys a little while ago? I'm on the cross and you take off? Or I go to pray and you guys fall asleep? Or Peter, you deny me three times? He provides reassurance and care to the men that really weren't there for all right, so here, here's what I want you to do, a real practical thing. I want everybody to try to think of one person in your life that you have regular contact with. Okay? You have some regular, just get, get a name of a person. It could be a coworker, roommate, spouse, whatever it is. You have something in your head? It's a person. What I want you to think of now is the next slide. I want you to think of the, the what are their needs. If we go to the next slide, please. The person that was in your head, they have needs to be heard, to be loved, to be undervalued, to feel included, to be wanted. The person you just thought of has all these inside them. Now, we don't go around saying these things. That makes make things pretty awkward. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I don't feel wanted today. <laughs> we don't talk like that. Of course we don't. But this stuff is how God made us. And he made us to get many of these needs met by him, but he also designed us to have those needs be met by others too. 
find it interesting that when Adam was created by God, Adam had all, God all to himself, and he still said it wasn't good for him to be alone. He created us to have connections with others. All right, go to the very next one, please. So how did Jesus connect? Uh, the second one there says, Jesus did not over-explain his motives when he was misunderstood. Next one, he was present with people. He did not numb himself to something that was difficult. Um, he would risk his reputation by spending time with the sinners of the day, and he loved people that did not meet his expectations. So I want you to think of someone in your life that hasn't met your expectations. I wonder how you love them. That's a tough one. It's really easy to meet people that meet all of our expectations and they're loving back and they notice when you do well. Those people, it's a little easier to love. It's a lot harder to love people that don't meet their expectations. And Jesus went against cultural norms in order to connect people and point people to his heavenly Father. So uh, many, many years ago, there was uh, this little girl in the Sunday school class that I taught. And uh, I think she was, if I was to guess, she was craving a lot of attention and not getting it anywhere. I think she was probably in fourth grade, and I was the Sunday school teacher. And this girl, I would say, would like to take over a Sunday school class if she could by her acting out kind of behavior. She would make teaching a lot more challenging, I would say. But in the traditional settings, you know, probably both school and Sunday school, what would probably happen? She'd be in trouble and have to talk to the parent and all that kind of thing. And I, and I was thinking, I wonder if we can, if I can connect with her in a different way. I wonder if there's a different way of connecting um, with her. So I, I changed my strategy. I decided every time she came into the classroom, every Sunday morning, whether she was late on time, and she would often come in late, uh, I would stop the lesson or stop the little song, and I would say, Hey, hold on, everybody. Stop. Stop the song. Look who's here. Aren't we glad she's here? This is, this, this is good for us. Hey, we just wanted to say thanks for being here. We, it's so wonderful that you're here. She had this look of life. You're crazy. You're crazy. But he did a week after week after week. Probably 25 weeks doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And it was amazing, about 10 weeks in, guess what happened with the behavior problems? They went away. And so then it came to her like to move on to like the next grade up in the Sunday school class. And who was the one kid in the class who wrote me a letter that said, thank you for teaching my Sunday school class? It was that little girl. Because she felt and not just connected for what she did wrong, but just connected just because. And I think that's the great thing about the gospel. Jesus craves connection with you or I, even when we blow it. Even when we have stuff we might regret. Or we have thoughts like, ooh, that was, that was not good. He craves connection because he loves us and he offers in Value to us, he gives every one of you instinctive and strength. Can't say the word. What's the word? What's that? Intrinsic, thank you. Intrinsic value. He gives us all intrinsic value because he loves us. And he offers salvation to you or I that's permanent and forever. 
He offers us adoption into his family. If you don't know Christ, he offers the greatest gift you can have, and that's a permanent relationship with your creator who died for you. Well, I hope later this week, the rest of this weekend, you won't just get an oil change, <laughs> but you'll realize God has a plan for you, and he wants to connect with you. I love the, even the prayers that were read and the scriptures. That's how, one of the ways he connects. But he also connects us through his body, the, the church. If you're new to this church, I'm a guest here. I'm not paid to say this stuff. But I hope that you'll stay connected, even more connected, because that's how he designed us. He designed us to connect. Take some risks. Take some risks to connect with people and do the beyond that. Hi, how are you? And then you move on. I need some coffee. Or whatever it is, I hope you really connect because that's how he designed us. Let's pray. Well, thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to meet your expectations for you to want to connect with us. Lord, I pray for the families, the friendships in this room. I pray that you would provide deep friendships that grow and thrive. I pray for those in this room that feel isolated, feel lonely. You'd break through some of those barriers that get in the way, whether it's fears of the unknown or fear of being hurt again. God, I thank you that you are there right in the middle of whatever we go through. God, you care about every emotion we feel. And I pray your, your blessing over this church in our weeks, months, and years to come. In Christ's name, amen.